good afternoon, good morning, whatever time you're tuning in, you are listening to the 50th, the 50th edition of the Pyramid Podcast. This is the show where three lads discuss all things English football pyramid and discuss wider stories from across our beautiful, beautiful game. No Murph tonight, so your boy Loro's on intro duty and T-Gal's going to be your dictator. T-Cat, what's on the show? Okay, yeah, thanks for that introduction, Loro. Um, right, so on tonight's episode, we're going to touch on the biggest stories from the week. Um, today, Paul Pogba has been banned for four years from football for doping offences. We're going to talk about that and what that means for his career. Um, we'll review the midweek FA Cup action, including, obviously, Erling Haaland's five goals against Luton. And then um, we'll preview the biggest games the weekend has to offer, including the Manchester derby. Um, so, yeah, like you just said, Murphy's not here, but I suppose we'll we'll joint host it together, Lauro. So, right. I guess only one place to start. Paul Pogba, he's had a difficult couple of years with injuries at, at Juventus um, and at Manchester United, really, towards the end of his United career. Today, he's been, um, it's been made official that he's been banned for four years from football for doping. He turns 31 on March the 15th, so two weeks' time. So when his ban finishes, he'll be, he could potentially be 35. Do you think that means his career's over? Yes. Do you? Next question. <laughs> yeah, you? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Unless, unless, Saudi, unless Saudi is still about, and they could probably make a massive thing about Paul Pogba's return, just about if he's 34, 35, and give him a couple of years there, if he's still any good at football by that point, which is questionable, because I'm not sure he's that good now, um, then maybe there's an avenue there. But, I mean, certainly at the highest level, it's done, isn't it? Yeah, to be fair, arguably before this four-year ban was um, confirmed today, or even before the doping um, positive test, you could arguably say that his his time at the top level was over. And I think it's quite sad to see because when he was coming through at United, he was always seen as this really talented young player. Um, then he went to Juventus, obviously won, I think it was four or five Serie A's, won the World Cup with with France. Obviously, a world-class player on his day, but questions over his attitude, questions over his um, commitment, maybe, to the cause, especially at United. And it's a sort of a sad ending to a, to a potentially world-class career, really, if, if I would suggest. Um, moving forward for him, you'd like to think that he could potentially get that um, that ban from four years down to two on appeal. But yeah, Saudi Arabia is the place to go for him, do you think now? Or the only feasible place when he turns 34 and the band's over? What drugs is he meant to have done? Um, because I've seen boxers get less than this and they're going in there taking each other's heads off and there could be deaths involved. What's Paul Pogba taken to be banished from football? Essentially, I mean, I know it's not a non-contact sport, but it isn't a dangerous sport to be banned for four years. It's testosterone. So, what I think, what I think's happened with Paul Popper is he's had a terrible luck of luck with injuries um, over the last recent years, and quite clearly, this is all allegedly, he's either mistakenly or intentionally taken these steroids to help him get over these injuries and to help him recover from injuries. Um, 
So yeah, testosterone obviously helps with the recovery of the muscles, recovery of the bones, whatever's going going on on in his system. So, and it's quite a serious drug, really. Testosterone. It's like what bodybuilders take to get massive. It's you can't be taking that. So, but yeah, four year ban does sound, does seem like quite a long time. You, you don't. That's the thing with drugs in football. You rarely see um, performance enhancing drugs no. get. Um, and it's usually it's cocaine. It's usually I've it's cocaine from Major Mewtwo, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like Rio Ferdinand missing a drugs test because he was smoking weed or whatever. But you never really hear of heads, do you? You get it in boxing all the time. Yeah. But football is a weird one. It sounds like he's been done up like a kipper by someone. But he moves in funny circles, doesn't he, Paul? Well, yeah, yeah. He's had he's had his well documented family issues with his brothers. Actually, one of his brothers who um who I think he had the the blackmail issues with posted an Instagram um wishing him well this afternoon, which I think had a tinge of um sarcasm in it, I guess. But look, let's um let's move on from Paul Pogba because I think we can both agree his career is over. But one person's um whose career is certainly not over, and that's Erling Haaland. Man City beat Luton. They put them to the sword 6-2 on Tuesday night and Erling Haaland scored five goals, the first four of which were scored by Kevin De Bruyne. Um, what, did, what did you make of the game? What did you make of Erling Haaland's return to form? I think he scored 27 goals in um, 29 games for Man City now, which is incredible numbers when you think us on the podcast have probably questioned Haaland's form this season a little bit. I've I've seen numerous um, other outlets question Haaland's involvement in the game and and potentially his the effect he has on Man City style of play. What what do you think? What do you think to sort of the the criticism that's that's come Haaland's way this season? Well, as I informed both you and Murph when we did our half teams of the season in December, I couldn't believe he wasn't in it because he was top scorer by an absolute mile and had the most goal involvements. It's only actually recently that Ollie Watkins has caught up, um, who was your boy's pick. So I've actually always been a Haaland fan. The one thing I... Did you say De Bruyne assisted four of them? Yeah, the first four goals was assisted by De Bruyne, which is scary hours if you're a Man United fan. Well, or... I mean, I'm looking at it from an FPL perspective, thinking they're both in my team and have been blanking for the last few weeks, and they've just used up. So, so many points on a pointless FA Cup job against Luton, I guarantee they'll get nothing at the weekend now. Um, he's not going to go and score five on a Tuesday and then go and score a hat-trick at the weekend, in my opinion, is he? But they've obviously put Luton to the sword there. And we spoke on the last pod about, are they just about to click positively or are they just about to go into a poor run of results? I'm not too sure what Luton's team was like. Um, just looking for it, it looks fairly normal. So it sounds like they clicked last night. Um, but they've spent that now on the FA Cup. And they've got a run of five really difficult fixtures in the Premier League. So can they carry that form on now? Or was that just like a, a purple night for them? Um, yeah, I'm just, I just wish it was a league game because then I would have got about 50-odd points. Yeah, yeah. well, I think um, before that game, Luton were the only team in the Premier League um, that... Erling Haaland hadn't scored against and after the game Luton were the team in the Premier League who he scored the most goals against now which is a crazy stat but the other team who he who he has scored five goals against which is um, scary for me is Man United he always seems to get up for that game 
got a bit of a, um, I guess, a personal gripe with Manchester United and Roy Keane um, when we when when we sort of nearly ended his dad's career. Um, so I guess he'll be up for that this weekend. But before we sort of preview the Manchester derby, let's talk about Leeds' game against Chelsea. I watched a little bit of it. Leeds were very impressive. And actually, at 2 all, I thought potentially were favourites to, or were pushing, the one pushing to win the game. And then obviously, Conor Gallagher pops up with the last-minute winner. What what did you make of the game? Do you really, as a as a championship um, fan going for promotion, do you almost see it as a blessing in disguise or a chance to get into the quarterfinal of the FA Cup would have been brilliant for Leeds? Yeah, the fi- it was the fifth round, wasn't it? It's a tough one because you're kind of on the cusp of it becoming serious. So any earlier in the competition, I'd have said, I just want to get knocked out without being embarrassed. Any further on, it becomes really serious. This is a kind of a middle ground, so it was weird. And I said last pod, it'd be interesting to see what Daniel Farker does because if he goes full strength, then he obviously looks, you know, he's looking at having a chance of winning the FA Cup. But if he doesn't, he's obviously fully focused on promotion. And we played about five or six second string. And that's harsh to say because a lot of the second string are very good players. But um, Rutter was rested. Somerville and Nonto only got 10 minutes at the end. Um, Gray came into midfield. We rested Gruev and Kamara. So the answer was, look, we'd love to win, but we're not going to exert or overexert ourselves trying to do so. The concerning thing for Chelsea is they were, I mean, I don't know what their best 11 is, but looking at the starting 11 from last night, it looked pretty good. And they were in a proper game, I would say really 50-50 in terms of quality for 90 minutes last night. I think Archie Gray was probably the best player on the field. And it was only a last minute goal where... Um, they found some space on the edge of the box to get Gallagher in that decided it. So if I was a Chelsea fan watching that, I'd think, hang on a minute. Leeds went almost second string last night and took us to the 90th minute and had a couple of chances to win. We had a bra- Ma- uh, Matteo Joseph up front scored a brace. I'd be more concerned if I was Chelsea. But this is a trophy that is the most important thing to them now because they can't do nothing in the league. Um, they spaff their chances in the in the League Cup at the weekend against Liverpool. So they need to win this. But as far as Leeds go, slightly disappointed because at this stage, you're close. Having said that, we've gone toe-to-toe with a very good Chelsea side. Uh, sorry, not a very good Chelsea side, but a Chelsea side in the league above us. Haven't picked up any injuries. Haven't lost any confidence because we still know we were a match for them. And if we'd played our first eleven, some of them on that from the start, we might have won and we could go into Huddersfield full of confidence looking to make it 10 league wins in a row. So overall, I think Chelsea will be pretty lucky. Leeds can be really happy and it's probably a decent result all round. Um, Man United squeezed through last night as well. Let me, I take it you watch it. Yeah. yeah. Let me, let me guess. They were crap, but somehow won. Yeah, exactly that, mate. Yeah, look, it's United are where they are at the minute. They, they, it was a really poor performance, but at the end of the day, when it comes to cup competitions, all that matters is whether you go through or not. And Casemiro, he pops up with a late winner, and um, can't remember who was on Cocoms, but he gave Casemiro man of the match after getting the winner. But I was watching it with my brother, and Casemiro was absolutely dreadful all game. And he is, he's 31 years old, or maybe 30, he's just turned 32 last week. His legs are gone. I, I, I thought it might be a sharpness thing, him coming back from injury thing, 
needed to get a, like a run of games in his legs. But it just seems to me that he's sometimes players get old overnight and he, it feels that way, which is harsh to say because obviously he's um, he's been a very good player in the past. Um, but yeah, just, just touching on Chelsea quickly. I know you said that they were poor, but have you seen they've, who they've got in the quarterfinal? They've got Leicester in the quarterfinal. Yeah. Um, at home, so they'll certainly be favourites for that. Not an easy fixture by by any means. Obviously, Leicester, very good championship side. Man United have got um, Liverpool at home in the quarterfinal. Man City have got well, they're at home and they they've got Newcastle. And then the other the other quarterfinal is Wolves versus Coventry. So either Wolves or Coventry will have a nice day out at Wembley. Gary O'Neill is obviously doing a fast, fantastic job there. What I was going to ask before we moved on to sort of preview in the Premier League's fixtures. But out of those 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 last eight, which team do you think it would mean, or which manager do you think it would mean most for to go and win that trophy? You've got obviously the likes of Pochettino having a tough time at Chelsea, didn't get over the line on the Carabao Cup final. Eddie Howe having a tough time with Newcastle, didn't get over, over the line in the Carabao Cup final last year. Eric Ten Hag, okay, did get over the line with the Carabao Cup final last year. But he's had his criticism this year, including from the likes of me. And then you've got, obviously, Pep Guardiola and Man City, who seem to be inevitable in every competition they're in. Um, who do you think it means most to this year? Well, a couple of different answers. One train of thought would say Jurgen Klopp, because he'll just want to make his last season as decorated as possible and go out on as big a high as possible um, to kind of try and kind of reflect on his time at Liverpool. But I think Eddie Howe, um, because he's done such a good job, particularly obviously in the first kind of half of his tenure so far at Newcastle. And it kind of feels like we're petering out a little bit now. But he qualified for the Champions League. And although they got some really big ties there, brilliant Champions League nights, PSG, AC Milan, Borussia Dortmund, they're all giants. It's a group of death. They had... You know, very little chance of getting through that group, really. But all the records show are qualify for Champions League, but finish bottom and then a mid-table in the Prem this season. But if he could go and win some silverware for Newcastle, something that they haven't had other than the championship title in decades and decades now, I think, that would cement his place in history in the record books and probably also buy him time, um, I think, with the powers that be. Because although... As a lot of our loyal listeners have got wrong, I actually think that Eddie Howe should stay. I'm not against him. I think the Newcastle board might be thinking about making a change. But as long as they're in that competition and the closer they get to the final, I think the more chance there is of sticking with him, him being able to lift some silverware and maybe kind of reversing the fortunes back to go in an upward trajectory again in terms of the positivity around him as the Newcastle manager and maybe buying some time into next season. So... Maybe that's just a personal preference, but I think it would mean an awful lot to Eddie Howe in Newcastle and an awful lot for his future as their manager. What do you think? Yeah, well, it will be one. I think it will be their first trophy in over fifty years, which will be an absolute monumental moment for him, for the Saudi owners, and it will give him a little bit of breathing room um, in terms. Of obviously, his league performance hasn't been good this year, but like you mentioned, there's been a lot of context with their struggles this year, and actually, I know. No no quarterfinal of the Cup will ever be an easy fixture, but they've got the hardest fixture there with Man City away. If you remember rightly, in the Carabao Cup, they had Man United away early doors. They knocked them out. I think they knocked out Man City at home early doors. 
they've had a tough run. Like like you mentioned, their um their draw in the Champions League was was pretty pretty difficult. Dubbed the group of death. So yeah, I think it would mean the most to, to him. And in terms of keeping his job, if they go and win the FA Cup, one hundred percent, he'll have his job, no problem. I think Pochettino's a goner anyway, regardless. Yeah. I think he's seen. For some reason, to me anyway, as an outside observer, he's lost the spark. He seems a little bit too friendly, a little bit almost like he's earned his big wages now and he, he's just happy just existing. Um, yeah, might be a, a tad harsh, but yeah. On Pochettino, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what Chelsea do because they're one of the most most ruthless clubs in the Premier League. And unless he wins the FA Cup, which I don't think he will, particularly judging on last night's performance, he's going to have a trophyless full season at Chelsea and finish somewhere in the mid-table. And there's no Chelsea manager in recent history, certainly since the Abramovich era, that would have gotten away with that. So it'd be interesting to see um, if Poch does under Todd Bowley. And I actually think it's getting more towards the... Um, swaying towards the side of actually needing to sack him and go in a fresh fresh direction because like you say he's lost his mojo but one quick thing before we move on to the Mank Derby shout out at Babatundi Makmusa, shout out Les Crow, shout out at Steve Don 369 guys we like Eddie Howe we want him to stay, if you listen to the clips they say that we think he deserves time, he did well last season don't just read how and expect it to be um, us looking for clicks. We're not. We're giving genuine opinions on the Newcastle situation, and we're with you. We're all behind Eddie Howe. Let's go and win the FA Cup now, Leeds aren't in it. Up to tune, how the lads? <laughs> yeah, OK, yeah. So let's move on to the Premier League, um, the upcoming Premier League fixtures. Obviously, the standout tie is the Manchester derby. It's at the Etihad, 3.30 on Sunday. I almost pretty much know what your prediction's going to be, but let's have it, Laura. What do you think will happen on Sunday? Well, United haven't done badly at the Etihad quite a, in recent history, have they? I mean, what they've definitely, they're definitely one of the better performing teams there. I know not many teams go there and get many points, but recent history, and I know you like to look at head-to-head, it can't look that bad, I wouldn't have thought, for Man let, United against Man City. Let me um, just take you through the last... Three Premier League games. Oh, sorry, the last four Premier League games. So we lost three nil at Old Trafford in the uh, earlier on in the season. We beat them at Old Trafford last January, um, thanks to a very fortuitous, fortuitous Bruno Fernandez goal. I think, if you remember rightly, Marcus Rashford was offside, blocked Nathan Ake and Akanji from getting to the ball, and Bruno slotted at home. But the last two times we've played um, Man City at the Etihad in the Premier League, we've lost 6-3, which on the day could have been about 10-1, and 4-1. And my my fear for this weekend is that Erling Haaland has just got that knack for goals again. And Kevin De Bruyne and him, that connection, it looks like an absolute cheat code. and Man United, obviously, like we spoke about a lot of times, we're very easy to play against. And even against Nottingham Forest, I think they had more shots than us, more shots on target. We're just a poor team at the moment, just scraping past, getting results. I just can't see us going to the Etihad and getting a result at all. 
You do realise it's March this weekend and Man United have won one, drawn one, uh, sorry, lost one, drawn one and won the rest of the games this season. And you've just described your own team, Man United, as being a very poor team scraping past everyone at the moment. What do you mean? What, Man United of what? Man United, this this year, this calendar year, have lost one, drawn one and won the rest. And you've just described them as a very poor team at the moment. I think football, I'm not calling you fickle here, but... If it wasn't for last night, if it wasn't for no, not if it wasn't for last night, because I'm the same, I would be thinking that looks a tricky fixture for Man City. Because, like I said on the last one, I don't think they've been at it um, as much as they have, which is weird because they won 14 and 15. But just on the eye test, they don't look as good as they have done in previous seasons. Um, is there a train of thought to suggest they've used up all their goals last night? Harlan's had his knack for goals back but he scored five in one game where normally it'd be spread out over a couple and United are going to get let off these fixtures I mean Rashford down the years has had some good games at the Etihad if he can find a spark at the weekend um, you know sometimes that the way City play can suit United attacking wise in terms of breaking away with your pace and getting in the behind that you sometimes struggle with when teams sit in so there's lots of ways that you can cause them trouble um, I, but you're def- definitely going to need a stroke of luck. Can I jump in and ask you a question here? So, so I, I, I realise you you quite often over the last couple of weeks have stuck up for Man United because, like you say, our our results haven't been that bad this year. We've won, I think we won five in a row before the Fulham game and obviously we beat Nottingham Forest last last night. However, so you're, you seem convinced by Man United. Yeah, no, Man City no. have won 14 of the last 15 games and you're not convinced by them. Yeah, really good question. If ever you don't understand something in football, come and ask me. This is the right thing to do. <laughs> Man City, right? I am judging against Man City standards, right? This is a team that's won pretty much everything. Is it six out of the last seven Prems? They won the treble last season, Champions League. Um, you know, Kevin De Bruyne and Erling Haaland last season won top form. I'm judging them against themselves. And compared to themselves, I don't think they're as good this year. I can only judge them against themselves because they've been the best. I'm judging Man United against Man United. And I thought the first half of this season, even though I still stuck up for them at times because I thought it was a bit over-negative, they were very, very poor. And let's be honest, most of the time over the last 10 years, but certainly since um, probably Solskjaer and then Rangnick and then Ten Hag's come in, it's just felt shit. And I think the last couple of months, certainly this calendar year, both with results and um, ongoing stuff behind the scenes with recruitment, etc., things are looking more positive. And I don't think we need to open the box of negativity on Man United and speak to the speak down about them all the time, particularly when this year their record is drawn to Tottenham, lost to Fulham, but won every other single game. That's where I'm coming from. Yeah, okay. Well, I think we can both agree that Man City are heavy favourites this weekend. Um, Just looking at the fixtures now, there's not really that many standout fixtures this weekend. The other game on Sunday for Super Sunday is Burnley versus Bournemouth. Must win for Burnley if they have any hope of staying in the division. I, I, I agree with you, Laura. I don't think they have any hope now. The only hope I guess they might have is if Forrest and Everton get further point deductions. On Monday, you've got Monday Night Football, Sheffield United versus Arsenal. Probably Sheffield United sitting in the, the same boat as Burnley. They're, they have to start winning very quickly, but I can't see them doing anything against Arsenal. And then the 5.30 game on Saturday is Luton versus Aston Villa. Luton seems to be 
getting quite a lot of TV fixtures lately at Kenilworth Road. That's a big game for Aston Villa, obviously, if they want to stay in the hunt for the Champions League um, places. <clears throat> and then you've got Fulham and, Fulham and Brighton at 3pm, typical 3pm game. But what I wanted to just mention quickly about Fulham. Now, I wanted to apologise to the Fulham fans out there because Fulham have just coming off their biggest win of the season, probably their biggest win in a couple of years at Old Trafford. Completely dominated United, went and won the game after um, United equalised late on and it looked like United might nick a winner undeservedly. We then do a 15-minute deep dive into Man United's struggles or potential positives about what could happen. And really, we didn't mention how good Fulham were. Um, so I just wanted to apologise to the Fulham fans because you were very good. Rodrigo Munez is, um, I think he's been called up to the Brazilian squad today. He's been first no. class. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's been absolutely first class over the last couple of weeks. He tore Harry Maguire an absolute new one that that um day at Old Trafford. And then you've got the likes of Alex Awobi coming back from AFCON looking really sharp and he's a fantastic player. So onwards and upwards for Fulham. And actually, we don't really speak about Fulham that much. When you consider what happened to them at the start of the season with the Mitrovic stuff, they had their top goal scorer and best player leave for Saudi Arabia and they okay they brought in Raul Jimenez but they didn't really replace him but it looks like Rodrigo Munez has stepped up um, in Mitrovic's absence and um, he's pulling up strings and actually he's keeping Bro out of the team which I didn't think would happen but yeah so I just wanted to give a shout out and a bit of positive positivity around Fulham um, like I just said they've got Brent they got Brighton this weekend Newcastle are at home to Wolves uh, Forest are at home to Liverpool, Tottenham are at home to Palace and Brentford are at home to Chelsea, which is, for, for my money, an absolute banker for Brentford to win. Um, if we move on to the Championship, Loro, and Leeds, 12.30 game, you go away to Huddersfield. What are your thoughts on that? Well, we absolutely battered them at home. Um, I think we were 3 or 4-0 up at half-time and I actually think Huddersfield have been other than obviously Rotherham, and I know the league table doesn't quite support this. I think they've been the worst team in the league this season, and I think they made the worst managerial appointment in terms of all the ones down there that have chopped and changed. Um, but they've actually picked up a couple of results lately, and they've pulled themselves, albeit only two points, three places above the relegation zone. So their fans might be slightly optimistic that they're on a little purple patch. They went away somewhere last week and won uh, Watford which was a big result that no one would have seen coming. That's a coupon buster. So need to be careful. Um, and we haven't been as good away this season, Leeds, as we have been at home. Having said that, like I keep saying, we've won nine in a row and we've conceded two two goals in, in that period and one was against Leicester. So it would be gutting for me um, if we went on that massive run, got ourselves back in the title race, smashed down all those boundaries and then went and chucked it all away by losing to Huddersfield. So yeah. I hope that doesn't happen. In retrospect, I'm happy that Daniel Farku has put rest into the legs of Somerville, uh, particularly, but also Nonto and a, and a couple of the midfielders. Because when you think about Wednesday to a midday kickoff turnaround on a Saturday, it's not giving you much, is it? So um, hopefully we're fresh and uh, we'll pick up another three points. Your second team, Southampton, travelled to Birmingham. Yeah. Do you think they can reverse 
their fortunes at the moment because they've lost three out of four. Booed off at St Mary's on Tuesday quite diabolically uh, or at the weekend and face an uphill task to get back into it now. And unbelievably, they're five points behind Leeds and Ipswich. This is the team that went from September to February without losing a game. Unbelievable. Yeah, well, when you consider, obviously, they lost to Liverpool last night as well. So actually, they've lost four of their last five games. Yeah. Uh, Russell Martin bemoans losing 3-0 to uh, Liverpool last night. It was really to Liverpool's reserves and kids. He said they didn't deserve it at all. They've got they've got to change their fortunes quickly if they have any um, any prospects of getting promoted automatically. Birmingham, they're without obviously their manager Tony Mowbray at the minute, so they're in a difficult moment. Um, you have to you it's a difficult one, but yeah, you have to pick Southampton just given their league position. Um, Birmingham, they're they're eighteenth. They're coming off a defeat. It's a big game for both teams at this stage of the season. But yeah, you are right. It's now or never really for Southampton. Otherwise, it will be languishing in the playoffs. And then we all know what playoffs is an absolute lottery. So Leicester have got QPR. Um, now, QPR's form is actually surprisingly good. They've won three of the last five unbeaten. In, or they've only lost one of the last five as well. Leicester coming off a tricky two losses actually, Middlesbrough and Leeds in the league. I'm praying that QPR can pull off a miracle. Do you can you provide any optimism that they might? Well, that Sifuentes fella, the uh, the manager, has really got them playing um, good football, defensively sound. Leicester went to Bournemouth in the week. Okay, they won the tie, which is obviously a great result. They they go to Chelsea in the FA Cup quarterfinal now, but it did go to extra time. Yeah. So if there's any hope that potentially they might be tired, then um, you could potentially see QPR keeping it tight and then nicking it in the second half. But look, Leicester are at home, so I just fully expect Leicester to get back to winning ways, to be honest. The other good thing there from a Leeds perspective is QPR need to win because they're level on points with the relegation zone. Huddersfield have got a little bit more breathing space. I suppose you could say the same thing about them, but hopefully they'll be right up for it. Um, but a lot of the fixtures in the championship, other, other than that, are much of a muchness this weekend. There's no title race really in League One because Portsmouth have pulled away. And as we know, anyone can beat anyone in League Two. So I reckon we review this weekend's action on Monday of the EFL. But I have got a poser that I would like to ask you and our listeners. And I'm going to be doing this maybe once a week from now on. It's going to be who's better, him or him. Right? And you'll see what I mean. Tonight's question is, if you could only pick one, would it be Luis Suarez or Sergio Aguero? T? Well, so are we going Premier League version or no, is no, it no, just... No, 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 no. Who would you... Everything considered, who yeah. do you pick? So for me, I'd pick Luis Suarez. I just think the Barcelona... Well, the, the last couple of seasons at Liverpool and then the Barcelona version of Luis Suarez was just absolutely out of this world. And I think... I'll try and get a stat up now and Google it, but... I think Luis Suarez was the only player to win the European Golden Boot, apart from Messi and Ronaldo, for like 10 years or something. Um, Luis Suarez. 
I was hoping you were going to say Aguero because I'm Suarez by streets and streets and streets. Um, that sounds harsh because Aguero is a very good player. But I think up until recently, Suarez was in my um, Premier League eleven of all time. He was the second best striker I've ever seen. Kane's replaced him just probably on a bit of longevity to part in Thierry Henry. But that couple of years that he was at Liverpool, where it just felt like he could score goals that no one else in the league could. He could score from the halfway line. He'd score, I think he scored about 21 hat-tricks against Norwich. He could score goals where the ball was just dropping out of the sky. I remember one where he rounded, I think it was Tim Krull in the Newcastle goal. It just dropped out of the sky, literally on a sixpence in front of him. And he killed it, went round the keeper. Obviously, he went on to do wonders with Barcelona, Atletico Madrid as well. He's been a saviour for Uruguay um, on many an occasion. And I just wish we got to see a lot more of him in the Premier League because I think he's one of the standout strikers of all time. Um, I know he had a bit of a nasty side. Sometimes that's needed. Probably went a bit too far biting certain people. But some of the goals that he scored, and he was so good to watch, particularly in that, do you remember SAS? It was him and Sturridge. I don't know if the A stood for and or Aspas, but either or, they were both crap. But Sturridge and Suarez together, that was a really good side to watch. I think under Brendan Rogers, and uh, yeah, we're sad to see him go. But only recently replaced in my FPL eleven, and, and yeah, I don't know what our listeners think, but for me, it's Luis Suarez. Can I can I offer a um, well? Can I stick up for Sergio Aguero a little bit? Sure. So, apart from Erling Haaland, which I don't have his minutes per goal ratio in the um, in the Premier League to hand at the minute, but Sergio Aguero has scored a goal every 108 minutes in the Premier League. That is the best ever. Thierry Henry, he's number two, and he scored a goal every 122 minutes. Harry Kane was 128 minutes per goal. Ruud van Nistelrooy, 128 minutes. Mo Salah, 133 minutes. Um, Erling Haaland's probably... That article was from last season, so Erling Haaland's probably up there somewhere. I would suggest that if... Sergio Aguero had stayed fit for his whole career, he would be right up there and probably even surpass Luis Suarez. But just because he had, he probably missed two months every season with little hammies, little niggles, it probably counts against him. What do you reckon? I don't know. I I mean, I know he missed games, Aguero, but I, I look back on Aguero and think, what a player. Like, obviously, I'm only really familiar. I know he's at Atletico before. I'm only really familiar with his work. Um, minorly with Argentina, but not obviously with Manchester City. And he was absolutely ruthless, clinical goal scorer. Playing generally in the best side of the country, which helps. But he was obviously a huge part of them winning their first, their inaugural Premier League trophy, which will always be remembered for probably one of the most famous goals that will ever be scored. One of the most famous commentary moments as well. And all those things help. And he's right up there. He's definitely in the top five strikers the Premier League's ever seen. But for me, Luis Suarez is third. And just pips him. And again, you know I'm an eye test man. You know I just I like to decide what I think based on what I see. And watching Luis Suarez, he just gave me more of a buzz as a football fan and a neutral, importantly in this discussion, than Sergio Aguero did. It's it's a harsh one to say because Aguero is absolutely unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I'm Henri, Kane, Suarez, Aguero. Rooney Drogba Shearer, I don't know what order. We'll have to come back to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely Thierry Henry number one. I remember growing up as a kid being like absolutely frightened every time we played prime Arsenal because of Thierry Henry's pace. 
And I don't think anyone else in, in that list has that pace. No. Everyone else is obviously world-class strikers on their own and they are quick, but Thierry Henry was just a different level. Yeah, I think you're right. Like Judging him against his um, competition at the time, like when Henry was here, the other best striker in the league was probably Van Nistelrooy, who was another one who was really, really good. But even then, I felt like Henri was streets ahead, just in terms of his pace, in terms of his inevitability. He was one of the most, by the way, one of the most predictable players in the world, the way that he just glided through, opened his foot and finished. But yeah. no one could still stop him. Um, he also scored goals like the one against the famous one against Spurs, where he would dribble around everyone and, and stick it in the back of the net. He could score from 30 yards, smashing goals in. I remember one against Man United. I remember a famous one just in pre-season where he t- had his back to goal, took it on his knee, the ball didn't touch the ground and he lobbed the keeper. I think he is quite far ahead of the next best player ever in the Premier League. And I know this is a discussion for another day and Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo has been in the Premier League, but just on the Premier League, yeah. Thierry Henry is definitely the best player and certainly the best striker that we've ever seen. Um, and for the purpose of today's argument, we're saying Luis Suarez is better. What do you think, our loyal, loyal listeners? And Yeah, Laura, that's a good way to end, I think. Um, thanks very much. Short episode today, guys, but obviously our trusty host, Alex Murphy, couldn't make it today, so we've had to fill in for him. I would suggest pretty poorly, but... Hopefully we've done a good enough job, but thanks very much guys for listening and we'll, you'll hear from us again on Monday. Cheers boys. One, two, three.